Shelley, how are you? Where are you? Or, as we say here in the Basque country, Zemodus non zud. I'm not sure if that sounds Basque, but then, I don't know, Basque is a pretty confusing language, so it, you may well have pronounced that correctly. I am actually really good, thank you. It's a rest day here in Saint-Jean-Vie-de-Port, and so we've been relaxing in our campground just next to the river. It's surrounded by these really amazing, big, tall, fortified walls, so I'm feeling like our stuff and our campsite is quite safe in here. Um, this morning, porridge for breakfast, went for a walk up to the Citadel, um, nice sunshiny day. So yeah, it's it's um, we're very, very happy here. Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. It's an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike. We are spending the next 18 months cycling from London back to New Zealand via Western Europe, Central and then South America. And we have a hell of a lot to learn along the way. And in breaking news, we are poised to begin the Camino de Santiago. This is a medieval pilgrimage route uh, to the bones of St. James. Will we see St. James's bones? I think we'll see bones, whether or not they're St. James's bones, I'm less sure of. <laughs> well, St. James's bones apparently hanging out in the church at Santiago de Compostela, uh, which is in the sort of northwest sort of quadrant of Spain, in Galicia. And uh, yeah, we're going to cycle along that most people walk but we're going to be cycling. We're in France at the moment, but it's very close to the border. Um, and then we'll be in Spain. So yesterday we celebrated our one month anniversary on the road. We left on the 4th of April out of London. It was a gray day. And yesterday was really bloody hot and sunny, wasn't it? It was almost <laughs> too high. And it had this, we entered the Pyrenees for the first time, and uh, it was really hot and strong wind. It was kind of very draining, wasn't it? Yeah. But a month on the road, and uh, so we thought we sort of, you know, tally up a few sums, look at our KPIs, <laughs> and uh, see if we're meeting our targets. It sound, doesn't it sound so weird to say that now? Because, you know, we're not in that... In that office realm, mm. in that world anymore, but uh, but for the case, no, in this case, let's just keep talking KPIs. Okay. Now you are in charge of the budget, yeah. and I was just washing my cycling shorts. You'd be pleased to know Ben Turnberg, our uh, hygiene. Uh, <laughs> what do you call him? Our hygiene czar. Um, I was washing my cycling shorts, and I noticed you were in the tent. You create a little office in the tent today yes. on the computer doing out the sums. Yes. So one month in, how have we been going? Well, we have been going spectacularly well. I mean, I, I think when I set aside, uh, you know, a budgeted amount for the first month, I was being quite generous. But um, we've actually underspent by half of what I'd allowed. So we spent £1,000 this month. Um on accommodation and food actually the, a lot of it a huge chunk of it on food so around sort of 45 percent of our of our budget went on food and around about 35 percent went on accommodation our first week traveling was our best as far as not having to spend much on accommodation we spent 35 euros on accommodation in the first <laughs> in the first week 35 um, yeah yeah and this week we spent or the last week of, of April we spent I think 170 or something like that so yeah. overall um, it's been a lot cheaper than we had anticipated yeah. you guys try coming on a holiday in France and spending less than a thousand pounds it's pretty good going I mean I, I, the accommodation thing is very skewed by the fact that we've been staying in people's houses for free a lot of the time mm. but we've also kept it pretty cheap by camping I mean tonight will probably be what eight eight or ten nights in a tent 
Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So this is how you do it if you want to do it on the cheap. And the other thing is we haven't missed out. No. We're having a great time. Yeah. So in does fact, that bring us to the next KPI? Well, yeah, we can. We can talk about um, whether or not we're having fun, which is a very important <laughs> important key performance indicator. Baden, are you having fun? Yeah, but I'm bloody having a great time. Stop swearing. Oh. Well, they, they kick us off iTunes for <laughs> yes, that. Yes, oh. For saying bloody. No. I don't know. No. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, this is seriously, we're having a ball. It's amazing. We, I don't know. You don't think about how much fun it will be when you're sort of doing the planning for it. But if you, if we knew how much fun it would be, maybe the planning process would have been more fun. <laughs> yeah, I think during the planning process, you're mostly thinking about worst case scenarios and you know what could possibly go wrong and things that you need to to worry about and mitigate against and all that kind of thing. And you don't really. I don't know, you don't don't think about the fun aspect. No, I mean, you know, all the things that you worry about just come to nothing really when you're doing this. You know, I, I worried a lot about bike security and things. And yeah, while we are cautious, you know, we don't, you know, we won't just leave our bikes in open places. But, you know, we're okay with sort of locking it up to a tree while we go to the supermarket or something. And mm. I don't know, just everything that you sort of worry about is just not really something you should worry about. So if you're looking to go on a cycle tour, just go. That is the hardest part. And once you're doing it, it's the easiest part. And so now that we are doing it, are we on track as far as kind of distance? I know that you are the route planner and you had an idea about when we might arrive at the border between France and Spain. So are we on time? Well, I think so. I mean, we're in the Euro in the European side. We've got a bit of a deadline. Shelley has got to get a flight from Lisbon on June 19, is it? Mm. So... June 19, how many, it's got to be about six weeks or something to go. Yeah. I think we're well ahead of time. I mean, I never really thought, St. Jean Pied de Port were, what is it, the 5th of May or something. Uh, I think that's kind of ahead of time, really. And Excellent. Yeah, although it's a bit sad as well. I, you think, oh, we're now leaving France, and France has been brilliant. Mm. We felt that when we left the Netherlands as well. Netherlands was so much fun. Oh, it's sad to leave. And now we've cycled almost the whole length of France <laughs> and it's kind of Aww. sad to uh, you know if we, you know, ideally if um, you know we were, could have spent you know you could spend a couple of months here I mean a guy from my cycling club he came with his wife uh, for a trip I think it might have even been their honeymoon years ago and they said uh, let's cycle around Europe mm. we'll, we'll spend a year doing it mm. and then they basically crossed the um, channel and they just enjoyed France so much they said oh bugger it let's spend the whole time cycling around here <laughs> and I can easily see how they can do that yeah so we're sad to leave France and that might be because we're hitting our next KPI which is are we making new friends well every day we seem to befriend someone mm. you know and so it has been a very friendly trip hasn't it yeah it's um, been so sociable when we travel ordinarily we you know we make friends pretty easily anyway but this has just been extra extra social really every day after cycling instead of kind of just taking a shower and then you know falling into a coma in your bed you're having dinner with people talk hearing their stories you know finding out more about them um getting their advice and experience on on cycle touring and traveling in general and and you know we're not sort of getting to bed before kind of 11 o'clock at night yeah and, and the bikes are a real draw for that aren't they you know the bikes bring the people to us mm. so we've done 2000 and i don't know how many how many kilometers 
It's got a, we passed 2,000 a couple of days ago, so 2,080 or so maybe. Okay, so it's really important to maybe check on how we're doing, how our bodies are feeling. Well, I'm fit. How are you feeling? Same, I'm great. Is that expected? Um, no, I didn't think I would. I didn't think I would get this far without any. I mean, I did have a problem with my eye, but I didn't expect that at all. I thought maybe my shoulder might start hurting because I've had an injured shoulder in the past, or my knees might explode, or something like that. <laughs> and <laughs> and none of that's come to pass. No, the only weird thing is that um, I am getting numbness in my toes and some of my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that cycling related though? I think so, because as soon as I get off the bike, it stops. <laughs> so I'll need to I'll need to look at that. But overall, I think we're kind of feeling pretty good, really, in body and mind, um, which gives me a lot more confidence. I think you know tomorrow we've got a pretty wicked day of climbing, which I've been a bit nervous about. But yeah, I think I think I can do it. Yeah, we did it last year at that big. You know, we're climbing up to about a thousand meters or so, and we easily did that in uh, Montenegro that last year. So, yeah, as they say in France. <laughs> <laughs> Peddling across the countryside, we've started to notice little changes. Um, we visited this cute little church that's completely dedicated to cyclists in La Bastide d'Armagnac. I think it's the only one in France. And I suppose that was sort of one of the last really quintessentially kind of French places we were when we went to see that church in La Bastide. Yeah, because after that, well, it was a few kilometres later, maybe 30 or so, we arrived in Mont de Massan, mm. and there was a real, a lot more of a Spanish vibe about the city. You even got into the, the central plaza area, and you had people out in the streets, which is very sort of Spanish thing to do. Mm. But then, again, all the restaurants were like tapas, and um, you could see that they were selling sort of Basque trinkets and things. So that Basque sort of flavour was really starting to uh, sort of come into the environment. Yeah. We- I mean, for me, I I don't think I uh, possess the, um, the knowledge of why it was that it started to feel more Spanish, even just in terms of looking at the buildings and the materials that were used and the style and everything. I couldn't kind of articulate it, but you could just feel that something was changing. Yeah, and then yesterday when we entered, you know, sort of the Pyrenean foothills, you know, properly for the first time, and uh, even all the road signs uh, were in French and in Basque, which is a, I never, I always thought that um, the French Basque was sort of, you know, shunned, not not shunned, but the language wasn't sort of recognised and things. But yeah, it's kind of a different story in this in this particular part of the Basque country. Everything's in two languages, and there's actually different dialects as well. When we're in Sully's de Ben, the touristy signs, uh, information signs had um, English, French, and Ben, which was like that particular dialect for that area. Is that where Bernays sauce comes from? <laughs> Well, you've come to the right place. <laughs> um, look, I'm going to say yes. Bernays sauce is from the southwest region of France. Um, you always want it. They've got great cattle in that region, and and the steak is fantastic. You always want a bit of Bernays sauce. So let's put it on the record. Bernays sauce is indeed from Sully's de Ben, this sort of Ben region, with the dialect of southwest France. So yeah, you've you've heard it here. Oh, Okay. I mean, for me as well, looking at the the Michelin map of, you know, where we were heading, it was really obvious that, you know, we were sort of leaving France, even though we still haven't. 
we, we don't feel, I don't feel like we are in France anymore. I feel like we're somewhere between France and Spain that's something different altogether. You know, the names on the maps, the names of towns, they, they have X's in them. They, they don't, they're not French and they're not Spanish. Mm. Well, they're the Basque. Exactly. I mean, you know, you heard when I sort of eloquently said, how are you, where are you in Basque? You've got all the X's and the Z's and the kind of really... Yes, Euskadi uh, uh, is a completely different language, but what I'm starting to think is that maybe you know, on this side of the border there's an even different uh, sort of dialect to Basque mm-hmm. um, because I don't think Basque was really allowed culturally to cross into France like it was in Spain where they were recognised with their own government and, yeah. and the whole great history of the Basque. So as we um, were approaching the Pyrenees, we came over the, the brow of a hill as we went into Sully's de Bern and... There they were in front of us, the whole Pyrenean range um, with, you know, some snow caps as well. Um, and it was, I don't know whether it was the fact that we were descending at about 45k an hour or, or what, but it was pretty exhilarating to see them and also terrifying, I have to say, because the idea that this huge barrier was in front of us and we have to go over it somehow um, yeah, that's something to really adjust to. Yeah, this is. I've been to the Pyrenees a few times, and it's definitely my favourite part of uh, this region. Um, they are they're just stunning and they're beautiful and uh, they're so rugged. And I said to you yesterday, I noticed that um, you know the odd occasion when I've been able to sort of cycle ahead and I've waited for you to come um, and to see Shelley with the Pyrenees um, as her backdrop. Suddenly, you just seem so small. I'm not a huge person anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. They, those Pyrenees are just so overwhelming and, and huge. And yeah, yeah. it's just. It's just I, awesome. I, know, I like the way you say the odd occasion that you've been able to ride ahead because another thing that's difficult for me is Baden's a lot stronger at cycling than I am. And he's very good at these big, long, uh, you know, stamina requiring hill climbs. Um, and so I'm sort of struggling along. Yesterday was was quite hard because there was such a strong hot wind in our faces, but I'm kind of struggling along. And the fact that he's finding it so easy is really annoying. I don't know what to do about that, though. <laughs> well, I, my suggestion is you carry more of my stuff. Well, how much more can I carry? <laughs> like, we've already like rearranged the panniers, and I'm already carrying um, more things. I've taken on your lock, your heaviest pannier. Um, you know what more can I carry? But I see it that we kind of look at we have different outlooks when we have the hills ahead of us. I'm much more optimistic, and I make small goals where you tend to look at the big picture and just think oh this is going to be so hard overall where I just go look if we just get to the next corner and get around that that'll be a good achievement and then we can focus on the next goal but this is the kind of optimism that I find very annoying listeners while we're doing the cycling (laughs) so here we are in St. Jean Peterport um which which is a town that you know I've read a bit about because you know I've been quite fascinated with the Camino de Santiago for some time Baden and I have learned Spanish in London for about four years and this along with you know the Day of the Dead and other kind of things other other common things that get talked about sort of themes that teachers use to help you to learn some vocabulary and etc so we've in the past learned a little bit about the Camino and um, we've known that this is kind of the starting point so it's really interesting to arrive um, and the first impression was it's so 
busy here. Oh, there's just people streaming through the streets, um, signing up for their um, accreditation to walk the Camino and their passports. Uh, and so, but a lot of people do the Camino in stages. So for some people, this is the finish, and then they'll come back and do the bit rest of it to Santiago next year. Mm. Um, yeah, and you know, I thought that things on the Camino are meant to be sort of reasonably priced, but they re- they seems to be a bit of a gouging uh, type of town for the tourists as well. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it just feels a bit weird, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's quite a small town. It's a medieval town, um, and it, its history is really as a kind of military center since about the 1600s. So quite it's got a Spanish. it's got a huge, big sort of citadel, and all, you know, as I said before, lots of big fortified walls and things to kind of defend for the French to defend against the Spanish. Um, so it's not a big place so as soon as it's kind of jam-packed that you can't really move I mean we we were trying to pull out onto the main street and there was so much traffic it just seems really strange doesn't it yeah it's also weird to encounter all these other travelers Uh, I mean no we we, so far on this trip we haven't been used to having all these sort of travelers in, in, in close quarters with us and you know, even so close that last night this guy turned up with his backpack <laughs> and he set up his one-man tent right next to us. We're in a campground where, well, at the moment, there are one, two, I think we're the fifth people here. And we're yeah. the only tent. And we're, we're the only tent. I mean, it is a kind of early days. We're having a day off. More people will probably come later. But um, this guy came and just sat next to us, set up his tent. Um, that's cool, you know. Well, no, we, unfortunately, we couldn't share any language together. But um, yeah, the whole night he was bloody snoring, <laughs> and you know, you know, I, I got to admit, I, I tend to snore a little bit. But this guy's out of control. He was honking away the whole night, <laughs> and he hadn't even started the Camino. So imagine what he's going to be like at the first hostel tonight. Yeah. Well, he's going to be joining in the chorus of other snorers. We stayed with a lovely person in Mont de Massan, um, Michelle. Uh, she kindly invited us to stay at her place, and she's done the Camino a lot of times. She had a lot of the little credential booklets. Um, so she has a lot of experience, and she was talking about the fact that when you stay in these big hostels along the way, so many people are snoring. Um, and I don't know whether it's going to be worse at the moment or not, but um, apparently in May is when lots of retired retirees come to do the Camino. Well, I mean, that makes sense. All the people that we've seen around town, the look of that sort of retirement age. Mm. You know, I think it probably the Camino groups into three. You've got like the ultra religios who are doing it for some sort of like religious path. Well, I don't know why you would do it. And uh, and you've got the retirees who just want something to do. You know, big achievement to do when they're retiring. And then there are the types who... Um, Oh, what was the third category? Those who just want something to do, you know, the a bit of an uh, the adventure types, a bit of you no, know, uh, your back your backpackers, people just want want to do it for the achievement. Yeah, and w- I guess we oh, what a, we don't even fit to either of those categories. Well, I, do I have we? to say that I I don't know. I've been looking around at all these people, and they all have the back back and the walking stick and the conch shell, which is a scallop shell that you know is the symbol of the Camino, and kind of something about it as a as a big kind of group. I don't know I just feel like I don't want to I don't want to join in on it I don't know why I feel like that I don't know whether it's because I feel like we're kind of outside of it because we're on bikes 
Yeah, and because we don't sort of fit into the group, we're not doing it for a, a, any particular spiritual reason. We're not retired. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we'll be, you know, getting along quite well with some of these people once we get going. But another thing, some of these um, pilgrim people, they look really grumpy. <laughs> yeah, we're standing in line for the credentials today, and I thought it'd be more of a sense of anticipation. Oh, we're, you know, people look really excited to get going on the Camino, but well, everyone was like, oh, this is just a chore and it didn't really have that sort of sense of excitement everyone sort of sat there with their arms folded and (laughs) another thing that's quite odd um, and I think is going to continue to be a bit strange is that so far when we tell people what we're doing they think oh that's you know really interesting exciting gosh it's going to take you a long time what what a what an ordeal what a challenge and here we're like the the cheaters taking the easy route you know we're cycling whereas everyone else is walking 800 kilometers so actually we're kind of we're suddenly speedy demons yeah, but you know, I think the thing with this Camino uh, part is it's just a different stage of our journey. It's going to be a bit different. It's going to shake things up. But overall, I think it's going to be bloody good fun. Right, it's now time for another What's in the Pot live edition. And today we're in saint jean de port almost in Spain, right down in the southwest of France and tonight's dish is a complete weird one um, I went off to the supermarket and I said to Shelley look I'll come back with some cassoulet with I was thinking sort of just cassoulet in a can that'll be fine went down there and I, I saw this big jar of sort of meaty goodness and on it it says Axoa de Vaux and the X kind of pointed me to the fact that it's probably Basque and uh, the lady at the supermarket said, yeah, it is indeed Basque. Uh, we've got no idea what this is. Axoa de Vaux, preparation à base de viande de Vaux cuisine. Describe what it looks like. Well, it looks like mint um, in a jar, and it's got like this thick layer of fat at the top. And on the back, it's all in French, or in, yeah, it's all in French. And it says, uh, cook for 15 minutes in, in a saucepan. Our saucepan only works at top speed, so it's going to be ready in about five. That translates to how far? Five. Yeah, I think five minutes. Shelly's going to try and crack the lid. (laughs) No, I can't. Oh yeah, hold on. Okay. Yeah, you held that. All right. Okay. Let's get some man muscles on on this. Crack the old... This is almost going to be embarrassing. Oh my goodness. What does it smell like? Okay, it smells like meat. It's definitely beef, it's got peppers and stuff in it, but really, when you crack open the lid, all you see is this big gloopy fat thing on top. So, we made some pasta to go with it, because we we thought, oh, it's a bit creepy just to have it by itself. Oh my god, look at it. Um, When I went to the supermarket, I put this up against, oh, Shelly's putting it into the pot now. Oh, it looks a little bit like cat food, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks a lot like cat food. But honestly, you smell it, Shell. It does smell very nice. Am I doing the whole thing? Yeah, do shove in the whole thing. She said it's for two people. Lots. Yeah, I actually maybe that was lost in translation. She probably said it's for a family of six. <laughs> she said it's but for that, two that, families. <laughs> two families. But that, that, those families weren't cycling all day today. Yeah. And uh, so I What's sort of. That? Well, that looks like a big bit of chicken slash meat. Okay. Okay. Sure. Let's just make sure this is warm. We don't want any salmonella, do we? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. So I was holding up the axoa duvo. And the, a can of cassoulet. The cassoulet did not look flash. Oh, dog coming in our tent. 
Get out of there, doggy. Oh, he's gonna. Oh, he's in there. Dog is in the tent. He's sniffing out stuff. Oi, doggy, where'd you go? Obviously, he was uh, very scared of me, and he walked out the other side of the tent. <laughs> okay. Ah, he's pretty cash. Okay, so um, yeah, and so I held up the Cassolet and I held up the Axoa de Vaux and she said, I asked which one's better, and she said, yeah, definitely the Axoa de Vaux. And when I came and uh, came back to the camp and I checked out the receipt, it was no wonder she said that because it was 11.50 for the uh, jar of uh, Axoa de Vaux, and it was only about two pound, uh, two euro fifty or something for the Cassolet. So I could have been done like a dinner here. But um, okay. I think the smell seems promising. Mm -hmm. And then we're serving it with? Okay, so we're serving it tonight. We've got some, uh, what do you call the twisty pasta? I don't know, actually. Oh, it's got a name. It's like fusilli or something like that. Yes. Fusilli pasta and uh, bread that we bought this morning back in Sally's the Burn. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it would, it's good that we've got the bread because there's a lot of slop with this. Yes, because the fat has melted down into a sauce. I think that might be what it means by preparation a base or something. Mm -hmm. So, uh, wow. oh, this looks, this looks good. <laughs> Do you reckon this is going to top the Niçois? Uh, it could do. It looks pretty hearty. There's some quite strange looking pieces of meat in here though. Yeah. What's that, that tubular thing? Gristle. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's your answer whenever I ask about mysterious meat. Yeah. If it's mysterious meat and it's difficult to chew, it'd be grizzle. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Should we pause it? Because I really want to like uh, tell people what it's like to taste it straight away. Yeah, taste sure. it, taste it live. We've never done a live tasting. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, I'm going to pause the little recorder. We'll come back to you. Uh, it's like one of those sort of magic pauses. We'll come here's back one to we you. Prepared earlier. Yeah, well, here's what we prepared earlier. And so we'll come back to you and I'll tell you what it tastes like. Stand by. Okay, we're back at uh, Shenzhen Peter Port. It's tasting time of the uh, the lovely Axoa de Vaux. Shelley is tucking in. Initial thought, Shelley. It's meaty. It's meaty. It looks like um, looks like slop, really. But I think <laughs> I mean I had a little taster just to check that the heat was okay, and it tasted really good. So I'm dipping the old spork in there. Yeah, I think it's nice. Pasta. Mm. Mmm. Hey, that was that was actually nice. You happy with that? Yeah, it's meaty. Got a little bit of freshness on the side. Bit there. of fresh pepper on the side there. Crunch yep. it up a bit. Change the uh, the texture. Yeah. Oh no, this is actually proper yum. Okay, that's it. That's a what's in a pot live special. We've succeeded again <laughs> in what's probably our best dish so far. All cooked by some local Basque dude and shoved in a jar. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the only thing is that it leaves the risk that we could be leaving France without eating a cassoulet. Tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Mm. Okay, what's in a pot? Live special here from St. John P. de Port. Okay, so another of our regular features is in praise of, which is where we pick out something that we're grateful for and, well, we praise it. And this week I am choosing Cote d'Or chocolate. 
Um, so this is a brand that was recommended to us when we were in Belgium. Um, uh, we stayed with some, some Belgian ladies and they were very proud of this chocolate, the chocolate with the elephant on it. Um, and since then we've been buying a block um, when we see it and using it for energy and as a bit of a reward. Um, it's got some pretty um, delicious flavors. The one I'm holding at the moment is um, citron gingembre. Lemon ginger. Lemon ginger. <laughs> I can't pronounce any French words, by the way. Um, so they're, the ones that we prefer are kind of the noir ones, so they're a bit darker um, and they don't melt as easily. But they've had we've had other ones. We've had hazelnut, we've had caramelized pistachio. Speculoos. Speculoos flavor, toasted sesame, lots of strange ones, coconut. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's my that's what I'm in, in praise of. I, I have to say I'm not sure about the company or the the ethical nature of the sourcing of the cocoa for this chocolate. Um, I don't I don't know who owns this company. It better not be Nestle. No, Mondelez International. Um, they used to be owned by Kraft. Mm-hmm. So essentially just as evil, really. Yeah. But I understand that Kraft spun them off and some other big conglomerate uh, has bought them. Um, but the, yeah. the ladies in Belgium you know, did stress that this is proper Belgian chocolate. This is proper Belgian, so don't feel like don't feel a fraud that you're not having proper Belgian chocolate. It is Belgian. It just may not necessarily be made in Belgium or owned by Belgians or Yeah, it definitely doesn't have cocoa grown in Belgium. <laughs> what are you in praise of this week, Baden? Well, I'm gonna be in praise of our walk stools. So there's a couple of things that we were really tossing up as to whether we needed um, to take on this trip. And I remember we are in Isle of Wight and we saw these cycle tourists and they had stools um, strapped to the side of their panniers. I was like, whoa, stools, you know, why would you carry around that weight? Um, but then the more we thought about it, the more we made sense. Now, I'm not very flexible and sitting on the ground... This, you know, Especially after a whole day cycling. Yeah, you don't want a whole day of cycling. You don't want to just sit on the ground and eat your dinner. So we got these walk stools. They packed down to be quite small. Well, what's the, you no, know, for the people rushing to their shops now to buy these walk stools? What are they? So it's a walk stool and it's the comfort model and they are 45 centimeters tall. Um, I don't. Oh, the weight is 825 grams and the folded length is 35 centimeters. So the weight is not insignificant, really, to sort of carry around, but they are worth every cent and they're really strong. They can take a hundred kg man <laughs> quite comfortably, and also you know I can uh, work on the computer on this and oh, it just makes it more nice and friendly when you're sitting around the campsite on stools rather than sitting on the ground and you know inevitably I'm going to probably be starting to carry Shelley's one as well Um, (laughs) but luckily they're nice and light and comfortable and I probably won't feel bad about it Okay, so we're we're going to be heading out on the the Camino um, but we've really got to get over a big giant wall first effectively, haven't we? Well, is it a wall? Is it a just a high hill? (laughs) Um, but yeah, we're heading over to Pamplona. It's the first leg of the Camino. Most people walk for 28, was it 20 kilometers? 26. 26 kilometers. So it's quite a hike for the first day. We're going to ride 76 into Pamplona, but I've assured Shelley that we start off with a big climb up to uh, sort of the border area. You imagine that the border's right on top of the hill. I think it's around 1,000 meters high. Mm-hmm. And then it's pretty much descending all the way down to Pamplona. And I never believe any of Baden's cycling uh, lies. Well, look, it's descending down. Well, just look, Shell, just be rest assured that by the time we get to Pamplona, you'll be lower 
than you were when you climbed the top of that hill. <laughs> wow, that's great. So, okay, so we're starting the Camino. We're not sure what to expect at this stage. We have gone and registered and we've got our little passports. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're we're officially pilgrims right now. We don't have the conch shell, though. No. I, I, we've, I think that what we're going to do is we're going get, to get one when we finish. Oh, right. But that means we have to cycle back with it, don't we? Is that how no, it works? no. Well, apparently, originally, you, you carry these conch shells and everybody has them. But what it used to be was once the pilgrims got to Santiago de Compostela, they would take a shell from the sea in Galicia and then they would go home, return home walking with the shell. But now people just carry them, yeah, on the way there. I don't, I don't really know when that happened. And all the grooves in the shell... Apparently, I learned also that they are to represent all the different roads to Santiago. Oh, very nice. So, uh, yeah, I think that's courtesy of Josh Tom. He told me that. (laughs) So we're going to be learning a lot about the Camino, and we'll fill you in on how we get on in our first week of it next time. But for now, I think we're done. Thank you very much for listening. Um, We'd love to know how you are and where you are, so you can always email us. Uh, how are you where are you at gmail.com or you can head along to our blog how are you where are you dot com and you know make some comments tell us what you think of the podcast and uh we're on twitter well i'm on twitter at baden c and on instagram at baden cycling no we're on itunes now as well so if soundcloud is not working out for you head over to itunes we're in the outdoor section if you rate and star us and stuff things might happen i really have no idea how this all works it was i think it was just a miracle that we managed to sort of fill in the form right to go into itunes <laughs> thanks very much for listening bye bye